this is Future Diaries, a podcast from the future, from the future. Welcome to Future Diaries, the podcast that transcends space and time. I'm Mike. And I'm Antonis, and we are your hosts. Mike and I are intertemporal gliders, bringing you stories from across the multiverse to inspire better presents and better futures. And I'm Caitlin, an intratemporal scribe. I help interpret stories in the hopes of making them relatable to everyone across the multiverse. In our last episode, we spoke with Danny, an explorer and survivor in a dystopian universe where a city called Berlin had become uninhabitable above ground. Or at least, that's what a cult-like group called the Children of the Earth had come to believe while living in an underground bunker over a period of several decades. And while they were mostly right about ecological devastation, Danny and others were able to survive above ground, although it was by no means easy. As a result of climate change, human populations in many cities dwindled and Berlin had been largely uninhabited for some time. If a city called Berlin and a country called Germany exist, or existed in your universe, then it's possible you're on the same timeline as Danny, our guest from last week. But it's also possible you're in the same universe as Lisa, our guest today, who explores Berlin in a rather different way. As you'll see, Lisa's Berlin turned out quite differently than Danny's. Or at least it has in some of the universes Lisa visits. As gliders, Mike and I are thrilled Lisa is joining us, partly because we're looking forward to talking about what intertemporal gliding is in her universe. In her universe, gliders refers to people who travel between universes, rather than people like us who transport others to universes across the multiverse through storytelling. I'm also thrilled to talk about what she has learned on her travels. In speaking with Lisa while preparing for today's episode, I learned how she uses intertemporal travel to find inspiration for making her home universe better. That sounds right up our alley. Yeah, I think so too. In fact, Lisa told me she first encountered our podcast while she was on her daily commute to one of her research sites. Okay, I have to ask her about that. Listening to podcasts while stuck in traffic on her way to work sounds like something I think a lot of our listeners can relate to. It's also highly relevant to her research project and to her diary entry. Interesting. Well, shall we have a listen? Yes, please. All right, let's roll. June 17th, 2030. Dear Diary, Alex came to visit today. It was so exciting. The last time she came must have been 12, 13 years ago when I got married. How much has changed? Her daughter is off to college. My son is in gymnasium. And we've both been up to so much in the meantime. Anyway, when we talked about her visit, she insisted that I show her what makes Berlin so sustainable. We've had a long running discussion about this, what it is we're aiming for when we talk about making the world a better place. My term of choice is sustainability. Hers, resilience. Both can mean similar things, and I think we've both come to agree that more important than the word itself is all the meaning you put into it. And she wanted me to show her that meaning through a tour of the city. First stop, Autofly is Zonali. We left my apartment, 
and I asked her to point out the different types of transportation she saw as we headed southwest. Lots of people out on foot, but also every type of family constellation on bicycles. Mama with a toddler in a front seat and a baby in the back, Papa on an adult bike with a six-year-old riding separately alongside him, and the spiky-haired punk dad I see sometimes with his baby cycle. Three kids packed into a wheelbarrow-like construction on the front of his homemade bike. Could you tell we were out at peak take-your-kids-to-kita time? Carson was with us, so I gave him a hug before he skipped across the street to his school. Okay, I said, we've got feet and bikes down. What else? Alex kept looking. She saw some skateboards and scooters of both the privately owned and hourly rental and electric and foot operated varieties. Diversity was all around us and how people were getting to work and to school. But Alex hadn't yet noticed what I was trying to get at, which was what wasn't there. Then it hit her all at once. I could practically see the LED light bulb go off over her head. Lisa. I haven't seen a single car yet. That's right. The whole neighborhood has gone car free. Wow. Don't people miss it? Miss it? Time for a detour, I thought. So we headed down Leutastrasse and I motioned for her to step into what looked like an enchanted fairy forest growing up between the sidewalks. There were a gaggle of tables past some tomato and basil plants where I told her to sit down. We were at my favorite street cafe, which two years ago had worked with the Neighborhood Greens Club to take over the middle of the street. Where asphalt had been on her last visit, raised beds held organic greens free for passersby, and precise incisions into the tarmac had made room for trees to stretch up into the sky. On both sides of this green oasis were five-story apartment buildings with high windows, A few late risers stood on their balconies, reading a book or nursing a cup of coffee. Look at that guy, I said, pointing to a man in a bath towel, inhaling the warm summer air. I bet he's out here just to smell all this fresh life. Can you imagine? Berlin is now a carbon sink. These street forests soak in more carbon dioxide in a month than the cars still allowed inside the ring emit in a year. And the city looks and smells better, too. Hard sell, Alex replied. I could tell she was taken in by the scene, but also that she was trying to keep her social scientist's eye. It isn't perfect, but it's such a no-brainer to give streets back to the people. Then we all benefit. But how many car owners were there when this was passed? Fewer than in New Orleans, I admitted. But still, enough. It was a big change. The way we convinced people was by starting small, taking over streets only on weekends, then a month in the summer. The benefits were so tangible and it costs less to build a forest than to maintain a street. So the city government has put the savings into building out the bike infrastructure here. And what I'm really excited about, they're talking with Leipzig and Hamburg about expanding the bike highways between the cities. Alex's eyes lit up. Bike highways? I can show you if you want. The route to Leipzig is open. It takes about a week if you're leisurely. Are you in? We can start tomorrow. We still have to ask the kids, but I know I'm in. But 
we didn't even make it to Zonnale. Welcome, Lisa. All right. In the first half of the show, Mike mentioned you first came across our podcast while traveling between universes. So, Phil, tell us about that day. Where were you going? Were you on time? And what's the scenery like on the Intertemporal Highway? Hi, gliders and scribes. I am so excited to be on your show. I've become quite a fan since I first found you on my own intertemporal travels. And you're right. I found you while I was cruising between universes, but I'm not sure the word highway is appropriate to describe them, as a highway suggests cars to me. No, the commute between universes is more of a sentient-powered speedway. You don't need a vehicle, but you do need a brain. Anyway, I was powering down the speedway, listening to one of my favorite podcasts, and when it was over, I realized it was the last episode. And I still had about 20 minutes before I made it to Universe 3.9. So I searched around in my podcatcher for other shows with keywords future and stories, and I found you folks. Oh, right. And you asked about scenery. Well, as I said, most of the travel is through your mind. So I found the scenery changes quite a bit based on my emotional state. I had one trip to Alternate Universe 73, that was all scales and claws, like I was sliding through an impressionist painting of aggressive predators. But on the way back from the universe I picked up this diary entry from, it was all fuchsia and turquoise and full of blooming dahlias. A gorgeous trip, almost as great as the destination itself. Wow, traveling along the Intertemporal Speedway sounds like quite a trip. I must say, I'm glad the algorithms are recommending our podcast across the multiverse. So I have to ask, you're the first person we've had on the show who has access to intertemporal travel technologies. Indeed, we haven't even figured out such technologies in my universe, nor have they in Mike's and Caitlin's. Could you tell us a bit more about gliding? Is there specific technology that's needed? What does it feel like when you're gliding and how does it work? Well... Uh, there's not really very much intertemporal gliding in my universe, I'm sad to say. And actually, it was something I stumbled upon by accident myself. Back in 2018, that was three years ago in my universe, I'd gotten rejected for a research grant I'd been really excited about. And I got so angry about it that I ended up in an alternate universe. It was crazy, but it started off a series of happy coincidences. I started a different research project in that alternate universe, together with Professor Uva Mann of the Institute for Speculation into the Queer and Unusual in Environments of Knowledge, Squeak, on utopian visions from interspecies drag performers on the planet Uranus. I should say that Uranus was populated in that universe. It isn't here where I live. Through that, I met a curator who asked me to develop a project on utopias, which I spent a lot of last year working on. It was called Stories from the Future, 
Maybe you've heard of it? Yes, I have. Wow, what an excellent group of storytellers. That was your doing? We're so lucky to have you on the show. Okay, previously you mentioned you heard about our show when you were on your way to a research site in a parallel universe. Could you tell us a bit about the research you're conducting? Sure, I'd be happy to. But first, a little background on what inspired the project. In my universe right now, we've been in lockdown for a global pandemic that started, wow, maybe a year and a half ago. And it had really gotten me down. You know, at first it was the lack of solidarity. Some people around me not taking simple precautions to stop the spread of the virus. But if I'm honest, the funk I fell into was completely me-centered. I had to keep working and suddenly help my husband take care of our son 24-7, A quick shout out to the people who take care of our children for a living, by the way, because that is the hardest job I've ever done. Anyway, I I was exhausted and I couldn't see a way out. I couldn't imagine how things could possibly get better. So I started tooling around in alternate universes. I went back to Uranus in Universe 23. And then I started visiting Berlin, where I live, in alternate universes. I checked out Donnie's universe briefly, but I didn't go as far into the future as what she describes. Anyway, what I'm trying to say is it didn't start as research at all, but as an escape. I just wanted to find a better life, and in particular, a better life for me. So I met alternate versions of myself and spent a lot of time comparing how Berlin evolved in different timelines. And then it hit me. These are exactly the type of case studies that social scientists like me are always looking for. Places with simple differences that allow you to ask questions like, what would a car-free city look like? So I started paying more attention to the differences related to what people in my universe call sustainability, the ability to preserve earth system functioning and human flourishing across generations. I went back to my favorite universe and asked the alternate me for documents that could help describe it. She was nice enough to give me her diary, from which I grabbed this entry. I'm sorry to hear about the pandemic in your universe. I've heard of pandemics happening before in my universe. I believe the last one was in 1918. It must have been quite traumatic, but no one is really around from that time to say so. We here on the pod have had the pleasure of communicating with people across universes, but the ability to visit them is still quite speculative. It took my Earth until 2021 to even accept there could be visitors from our own universe. So you can imagine the technology for interuniversal travel is really far off for us. Tell us, what's it like actually visiting other universes? And what have you learned from the experience? (laughs) That's a tricky one. I think I've learned quite a lot about myself, for one. I mean, intertemporal gliding for me is sort of like existence shopping. So do I want to visit a place that's better than my real life, escape as it were, or somewhere that's worse so I can be happy to get back home? And I've found that the places I find most interesting and where I've stayed the longest are the ones that are the most different from my universe and the ones that feel the most hopeful. So for example, when I was doing my research on Uranus, in that world, there are 2.5 billion Uranians and 12 sentient species on that planet. 
They even have hydrogen-based life forms, which I didn't think was possible. So I spent a lot of time there, just taking in all the ways in which life was just fundamentally different from where I live on Earth. And I think when I started to realize that a particular art form they practice there could be connected to drag performance as we understand it here, I was hooked. I guess I haven't really thought about the larger message there, but perhaps one lesson is this, that intertemporal travel can highlight both diversity and connection, differences we couldn't imagine and similarities we didn't expect. It's those strange echoes that I really enjoy. Oh, wow. There are people and other non-human creatures living on other planets in your universe? In my universe, we've spent so long trying to figure out how to achieve something like what you call sustainability on Earth that we mostly shut down our interplanetary travel programs. Okay, so I have to ask, you've mentioned interspecies drag performers in an alternate universe a couple times now. What can you tell us about them and this art form? Yeah, that's really how this all started. Uh, crazy, right? I ended up on an alternate Uranus that was populated, and I just fell in love with the Uranians. I'm not a biologist myself, so I didn't notice the interspecies element of their art at first. I just loved the performances and their fiction. But when I started looking deeper into the interspecies community, I saw some interesting parallels between the ways that interspecies artists added elements of other species, like wings or beaks to their appearance to the point where it was often impossible to tell what species they actually were, which was the point, of course, to showcase the beauty of interspeciality. And this reminded me of something called drag in my universe, where performers play with gender in the way that Uranians play with species. And I knew I had to take a deeper look. What I love about interspecies drag is its utopian ambition. In a way, the godmother of this art form was driven by the very personal, but also political desire to promote social equity among all species. And the work that she and other interspecies artists created inspired real change, which shows that art can indeed make the world a better place. By imagining and performing better worlds, they brought them into being. That sounds incredible. But um, from the intertemporal speedway to a global pandemic, to your new research project, to interspecies drag performance, that's a lot to take in. And I'm not even sure I have a sense of which parts are relatable to our listeners and which may seem, I don't know, otherworldly. So... If you were to keep just one key takeaway from joining us today, what do you hope our audience will learn from your story? Well, obviously, as a sustainability teacher and researcher, I would hope that your audience would be emboldened hearing about the low-carbon future and the diary entry to take bigger, more meaningful steps toward protecting the environment and each other. But in talking to you, I wonder if the message isn't really about the benefits of intertemporal travel itself. I mean, I've benefited in so many ways. It's helped me get through this pandemic and a big setback in my career, which is an important psychological benefit. But then I've also learned so much by meeting amazing people and non-human life forms 
and even talking to an alternate version of myself. So I guess I hope others crack the code to become intertemporal travelers as well. It's a lot of fun. Yes, I hope so too. Intertemporal travel sounds like an amazingly rewarding experience. Thanks so much for joining us today, Lisa. All right, that will do it for this episode of Future Diaries. And to you, our listeners, if you've enjoyed our show, please subscribe to Future Diaries on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed in your universe. You can also visit our website at futurediaries.show, where you can find additional content about us and the universes we come from, as well as subscribe to our newsletter and find other ways to support the show. I'm Mike. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Antonis. And we'll talk to you... In the future. future.